screen or best of all in your own Bible. I'll turn it over to you, Becky. So the scripture reading for tonight is Acts 17, 22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of you, your own poets, have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine build being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's the word of God. Thanks be to him. Thanks, Becky. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we consider this scripture would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we know on our own we can't do that, so we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thanks for standing. We've been doing this uh, sermon series the last few weeks, kind of a end of summer sermon series about sharing our faith, becoming more confident as a church when it comes to talking about what it means to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to follow Jesus, and having the desire to want to talk about that. We've mentioned it. It's a hard thing to say, but I think it's something that the Lord showed us over the last couple of years that as wonderful as our church body is in so many ways, one place that we can get better in and grow in is in sharing our faith and having a, a, a boldness and a zeal and evangelism to want to see the people in our life come to know Christ. And so that's kind of what motivated us to take a look at the book of Acts and especially how the early church went about talking about the relationship with Jesus, sharing their faith with others. We want to learn from their example and maybe from that grow ourselves in confidence and skill and talking about what we believe. So just a little recap, we've, we've looked at the first one, Pastor Brian started us off, is when Jesus gives us the calling to be his witnesses to Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
And then we talked about how prayer is the first thing that we start with in any endeavor to talk about the gospel. The next week we talked about how the Lord has oftentimes been at work long before we even stepped onto the scene in the relationships that we have. And then finally last week we kind of got down to the brass tacks of what do I say? When somebody asks me, what do you believe? How do I come to know Jesus? Like, what do I actually articulate? And we talked about some of the gospel summaries and ways in which we can sort of think about and gain confidence in knowing sort of the main sequence of events of the gospel. But this week, we're going to put that all into perspective. And I don't know if I I want to say what it is that we're going to add to that equation yet or if I want to wait until after my opening story. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to wait till after. I'm going to tease it for you guys and hopefully keep you on the edge of your seats with suspicion and excitement. And by doing that, the most exciting thing I could possibly talk about is a series of debates that happen in Canada twice a year. Aren't you excited? They're called the monk debates. Has anybody ever heard of this? Anybody up in paradise? Silas, do you know? Okay, good. One person. You and me, Silas, were the biggest nerds in the room. I like it. So it's a series of debates that happen up in Toronto. They do it twice a year, and they're actually judged. So like 3,000, 4,000 people will come to this big auditorium, and they'll watch these. Usually it's a partnership of two people debating another two people on a big issue of the day. And at the end of it, the people that attend are able to vote on which side they thought was the most persuasive. I have not followed these series of debates for a very long time, but I became aware of them last year because there was a debate that happened at the end of last year that was the most lopsided victory they had ever seen in the monk debates. So usually this one team will win by like three or four percentage points. But in this particular occasion, the winning team won by close to 40%. It's like 39%. It was just a complete annihilation. And it was really sad because the reason I was sort of uh, investigating this is because one of the guys that was on the losing team is like one of my favorite authors. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, poor, well, I won't say his name, but I uh, was just fascinated by, wow, this was a historical defeat by somebody that I really appreciate and respect what it happened. And that was the question that a lot of people were asking. There were articles written about this, podcasts, uh, interviews done, trying to get to the bottom of why was this debate so lopsided. And a couple of weeks ago, I was watching this interview with one of the participants who was on the winning team, and they asked him that very question. What happened? Why did you win so handedly? And his answer was remarkably simple. He did not point to their preparation or the fact that they had better sort of info or even a better position. He said this. He said, we listened. And the other side didn't. He said, when they were talking, we were doing our best to listen to what they were saying, to understand the perspective and where we were coming from so we could respond appropriately. But when we were talking, they were scribbling notes. They were talking to themselves. They were looking off in the distance. And you could tell that they weren't listening to what we were saying. They were just thinking of what they wanted to say next. 
And he even talked about how a lot of times in like a dinner party environment, maybe you guys have experienced this, where you're talking to somebody and you say something and you see that moment in time, you can see it in their eyes, where they stop listening because something you've said has triggered a memory for them. And now they're waiting their turn to tell their story or to give their witty remark or to tell the joke that they want to tell. And they are no longer listening. They are biding time until it's their turn to talk. And so this guy is saying that's exactly what happened in the debate. And as it went on, they could tell that their opponents were not paying attention at all to what they were saying. And they were not trying to understand their position. And obviously, the audience noticed that too. Because when it came time to judge, 40% of the people said, this side was way more persuasive than the other. You put it, if you put it that way, you're like, well, Josh, 40%, that means 60% thought the other, but it actually doesn't work that way. The scoring is very complicated. It would take me a while to explain it, so I won't. Just know that it was a beatdown, and it all had to do with listening. So here's where I'm going with this. We've talked about how we want to have uh, these gospel summaries that we know well enough to be able to talk confidently about what we believe and what the crux of the gospel is. We talked all last week about how to go about sharing, that is speaking, talking about our faith, and yet an essential component of being a faithful witness to Jesus Christ and his gospel is what? Listening, understanding where the person is coming from who we're talking to. Taking time to perceive and observe their thoughts, their ideas, their worldview, and who they are. It is more than just barging in the door and preaching what you've already got in your head. It's relationship. It's learning. It's observing. It's listening. And the hardest thing about this is I think in most other contexts, this is like a no-brainer. And it's like, Josh, of course, listening is a key component. But when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing our faith, sometimes we throw that out the window because we say, it's all about what I have to tell someone. Jesus called me to be a witness to the gospel, not a recipient, not a listener. You know, you could even you know, point at me from last week and be like, Josh, you know, you said that we need to know these gospel summaries, that we need to be able to talk about them with confidence. We need to practice the scales so we know how to play the jazz solo. Which if you weren't here last week, that's going to make no sense to you. But if you were, you remember that metaphor that we used. So we can fall into that pitfall of not listening, and not only that, we can feel justified in doing it because we think that to be a witness means to tell, not to listen. And yet that is so far from the heart of evangelism that we see in the scriptures. What we see over and over and over again, starting with Jesus, through Peter and James and John, even to the Apostle Paul, who we're going to look at an example from today, is we see people that have taken time to listen, to understand, to ask questions about who people are and where they're coming from. So that when they preach the gospel, they are bringing the truths of the gospel to bear where people are and at a place which resonates with them. 
and their particular unique perspective. I told you Apostle Paul is an example of this in the passage that we looked at today. Now, this portion of the scripture that Becky read for us, it is all Paul speaking. If you were paying attention while she read it, you know that it was him saying a lot of things. So it could sound like a terrible, terrible example of listening since we don't see this guy listening very much right here. We see him saying a lot of things. Yet, in the course of this sermon that he gives, he shows us that he's been paying close attention before he said anything. He's been listening very well. And one example of it is what we have underlined right here. It's the quotations that he gives. He says, yet he, that is, he's referring to God, yet God is actually not far from each one of us for, and here's the quotation, in him we live and move and have our being. Now we see the apostles quoting scripture all the time, uh, saying, for it was written, for it has been said, and then they give a quote just like this. So here's my question to you. What part of the Old Testament does this come from? What psalm is this from? In him we live and move and have our being. Anybody know? Trick question. It's not from a psalm. Nor from any Old Testament scripture. He's actually quoting a Greek poet here named Epimenides. At least most likely he's quoting Epimenides. There's a couple of options, but he's the, the forerunner. This is a poem written by Epimenides of Crete, and it's actually entitled A Hymn to Zeus. Zeus was the sort of king of the gods on Mount Olympus in the Greek pantheon. And that's where this line comes from. The Apostle Paul had been reading the Greek poets before he gave this sermon on the Areopagus. It gets even more clear, though, the next line as you see, oh, actually, can we stay on that slide? Right down below, this isn't the underlined part, but it says, as even some of your poets have said, there he goes, he's sort of showing it right there, for we are indeed his offspring. This is another one. It sounds like maybe it could have come from an Old Testament scripture, but yet again, this is Greek poetry that he's quoting. This one most likely comes from a poet named Aratus, who had an epic poem that was very popular in the first century. And the poem was, this is remarkable why this would be so popular, but it was a very long poem in like Attic Greek about the weather. And people loved it. It was like bestseller, if you could say poems were bestsellers. So it's all about the weather and the constellations, and yet at the beginning of the poem, there's this inscription. There's a dedication that's given at the beginning. Again, to the Greek god Zeus, and in this dedication to Zeus, we read a line incredibly similar to, for we are indeed his offspring, which makes people think that what Paul was doing here is quoting that famous epic poem that many would have been familiar with. The guy knew his poets. And for all we say or think about Paul, perhaps we never realize that at heart he just loved his poetry. Or maybe he didn't love poetry. 
Maybe what was really going on is what I've been trying to suggest to you from the beginning. That Paul was somebody who took his calling to be a witness to the gospel so seriously that he was willing to do all he could to know his audience, to understand where they were coming from, to know their worldview, and to be able, with that understanding, to approach them with the gospel in the place that they were and the place they were thinking about. He had done his homework. And I I can't tell you precisely where he would have come across these poems and how he would have known them. I can't tell you at what point in his life he would have learned this. Perhaps he learned it when he was in school a long time prior. Perhaps he learned it while he was traveling across the Mediterranean. Or maybe, this is an option that's kind of hinted at in our text, maybe when he arrived in Athens, he took the time to talk to people, to ask them questions about what they believed to listen to what they were discussing in the marketplace, to observe and to check out what is this culture that I'm coming into. Perhaps he very strategically and intentionally took the time to learn who they are and what motivated them and drove them. I told you that that might be hinted at in their text and the reason why is because at the very beginning of what we read, we see Paul talking about this time that he took to observe his surroundings. I've actually got it up here on the screen. Let me read the underlined part for you. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. We're going to stop right there. Look at those words that I've got bolded. Perceive, observed, found. This is the language of somebody that is on the lookout to know and to understand. Paul didn't just come in, flap open the doors and start preaching the gospel. He took time to think about, to listen, to know the people he was talking to. And in fact, it would have been even more obvious if we started the text a little bit earlier when we would have read about him every day reasoning with the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, talking, dialoguing, learning. For this man, being a witness to Jesus Christ meant also being someone who listened well to the people that were around him. There's no doubt about it that the reason he went to Athens was to share the gospel. He wasn't just going to go and observe and check things out and just say like, okay, this is cool, see you later. It wasn't an anthropological mission he was on. The point was to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus, and yet he knew that the first step in doing that faithfully was to listen, to ask questions, to understand the people. I have three takeaways that I want to end with. Um, there were some more things I wanted to say, but I'll be honest with you guys, I'm about to pass out from heat stroke. So, let's end with these three takeaways. At the risk of being obvious here, some of the things I have said already, some of these words, and you're like, Josh, you already said that, but let's just really kind of get to the brass tacks here. How do we listen to folks? Well, sometimes that'll be just having somebody tell you all about their life and who they are and what they believe, sometimes it's going to require you 
asking questions. So that's my first challenge for you. I've asked you guys in these last few weeks to be praying for people in your life that the Lord would soften their heart. I've asked you to be thinking about and, 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 and practicing even like the summaries of the gospel that can help you be more confident in what you share. But now here's what I'm asking you to do. In those conversations with people, ask questions. And not like questions that are like setting them up so you can just spike them down with the gospel. Ask questions because you truly do and sincerely want to know and want to understand them and want to understand their worldview, what they believe about God, what they believe about who we are as humans, what they believe about what's wrong with the world. And in doing that, you are going to be equipped to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear in their life in a way that speaks to them in those particular places where they have interest or curiosities or hang-ups or questions that you say, you know what God's word says about that? You know what the gospel says about that? Francis Schaeffer was a fellow that maybe not a lot of y'all are familiar with. Many of you guys will be. He was a famous evangelist and apologist in the last century. And he was asked many times if he had an hour alone with somebody. As this famous evangelist, he's like Billy Graham. He's like, if you had an hour to talk to someone, what are the big things that you would hit? The big pieces you'd want them to understand for the Bible. And his answer was always this. I would spend about five minutes speaking. And I would spend the other 55 minutes listening and asking questions. That wasn't chickening out from his calling. If you look at that guy's life, you see many people who came to faith through his ministry. So him listening and asking questions was not just him dodging uh, rough conversations. No, what it was is him saying, if I'm going to be serious about my calling to share the gospel, I want to know what my conversation partner believes. There's also a respect that comes in that, when you're willing to ask questions to people, when you're willing to, to think about and actually maybe even study or read up on what they believe. And that actually leads to kind of the second thing I want to challenge you with. Investigate the beliefs that you come across. In the course of your conversation, if you are asking questions, if you are listening to people, chances are you are going to hear about things that you have never heard of before. Religions and philosophies and worldviews and beliefs and perspectives that are going to be like, what in the world? Don't just shrug that off and walk away. Investigate it. Read about it. Try to learn about it on your own. Maybe talk to friends that might know more about that. Or even ask more questions to your conversation partner. It honors people if you're willing actually to try to understand where they are coming from. And it also means that you are more equipped to be able to preach the gospel to those places where their heart is yearning for the truth. One of my favorite examples of this is I was invited to a Bible study years ago. It was a Bible study out at Wildwood Park with some folks that are here in this room right now. And it was just this very broad invite. There were Christians that were invited. There were non-Christians that were invited. And we all just sort of mixed together. It's a fun, fun couple of nights. But this one particular evening, a fellow was invited who was a student at Chico State. He was from Saudi Arabia, and he was Muslim. 
And so in the course of him being there, you know, we're making small chat and we're talking. There, one of my friends came up to him and started discussing with him and he asked this. He said, you know what, I've been, I've been learning about and reading about Ramadan and how at the end of Ramadan there's this big celebration, the Feast of Eid. And I've been so fascinated by that. Would you tell me more about what that means and how your family celebrates it? You should have seen this guy's face light up when he was asking that question. It, it, it seemed like he had, since he had been to the United States, he had never been asked about that, which might very well be the case, that an American Christian who had invited him to a Bible study was now saying, I know a little bit about your belief and I want you to tell me more about it. It meant the world to him. I promise you guys, if you are willing to have a little bit of knowledge about some of the beliefs that you encounter, the doors that will be opened for the gospel and the inroads that can be made into a person's life to actually respect you and trust what you're saying it's immeasurable. Be willing to investigate belief. The final piece. Remember, this is not a fight. When you are in a gospel conversation with somebody, you are not in a debate with them trying to win. <laughs> I know I started this whole sermon with this example about a debate and how there were winners and losers, but I circle back around to it now to tell you that your gospel conversations are not a debate with winners and losers. You're not trying to get one up on the person you're talking to or embarrass them or show them what they believe is stupid. No, far from it. And I think that maybe sometimes the reason why we're reticent to listen, to ask questions, to think about what somebody is saying to us is because we think that if we do that, it's going to show that we lost. We lost the conversation. And maybe some of y'all were thinking about that when I told you about Francis Schaeffer. He spent 55 minutes listening to the other guy and only five minutes speaking. Well, obviously he lost that gospel conversation. Nonsense. It's not about that. And what Schaefer himself would say is that my conversation partner is not my enemy. My conversation partner is a person made in the image of God. The only difference between he and I is that the Lord God has opened my eyes to the grace of the gospel, and this person is still in captivity. Of course, I want to do all that I can. If it means asking questions, if it means listening, if it means discussing and thinking about their beliefs, I want to do all I can to help free this person from an enemy that would blind them and make them hard-hearted and unwilling to consider the gospel. That is the important, the important takeaway here. When I say that my conversation partner isn't my enemy, that doesn't mean I don't have an enemy. I do. We all do. It's the devil, the one who blinds eyes and hardens hearts and makes it so that people just shrug off the obvious truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel of grace. So when I'm talking with somebody, they're not my enemy. We have a common enemy, the devil that tries to keep us in the dark. My conversation with them isn't a fight. It's not a debate. It is truly a conversation that is longing 
that people would come to see the gospel and the fullness of its beauty and truth. And if it means asking questions and listening and perceiving where they're coming from, I'm going to do it. And I hope what you've seen is this isn't just a, a flight of fancy for me. This is something that you can look at closely in the scriptures. Notice it all over as you read through the book of Acts. Notice how Paul and Peter and John and the evangelists, they're constantly observing what's around them. Knowing their audience so that they can bring the gospel to bear where those people are at. I think I'm going to stop there for right now. So let's pray together. And then I'll invite the musicians back up for our last song. And we'll take our special offering for the Enzozi Academy. Let's pray. Father God, it is hot Speaking about the enemy, I can't help but think that maybe this word tonight, this scripture was one that he doesn't want us to consider. He wants to distract us with heat and discomfort and broken air conditionings. But I pray against that. And I pray that this church would be one, if we have a reputation in town, it would be one of we are a people who listen well. Not just for the sake of listening, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of seeing Chico come to know Jesus, for the sake of revival in this region, for the sake of seeing the glory of God burst out of this community and town and people being saved. Lord, I pray that that would happen. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you've heard before, we are going to take the special offering right now, so I'm going to ask our ushers if they could come back up. Um, we also made a special QR code that's on the back. I can't remember if Brian said this or not, but that takes you straight to the special offering fund. And so if you don't have a check or cash and you'd like to give, you can do it through that and be assured that it will go to the special offering for Enzozi Academy. Thank you so much, guys, for your generosity.